word in prayer. Now, Lord, we do thank you for another Lord's Day, another chance to glorify you, to worship your holy name, Lord. Lord, uh, I am powerless to uh, bring these words and have them have their desired effect, Lord. Only you can do that. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and uh, make, make these words uh, do what you intend them to do, Lord, and not return to you void. And we trust you, Lord, with the results. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, did you ever ask for a gift for Christmas? Uh, and then instead of getting what you asked for, you got something so much better than the thing uh, that you asked for. Uh, Molly and I don't like to give each other Christmas lists. We're, we're into surprises. We like to surprise each other. And, and one year, Molly was secretly saving money, and she bought me this beautiful uh, Martin acoustic guitar. Uh, and it was just amazing. It was way more than anything I ever could have asked uh, in a gift for, for, uh, for Christmas. And it was really wonderful. And uh, if God can do, or if people can do something like that, you know, give you way more than you can ask or imagine, uh, how much more uh, can God do such a thing, right? Uh, years ago, uh, before I was saved, Molly used to take our kids uh, to church without me. And uh, she would sit there in church and she would pray that I would be saved someday. Uh, and her prayer was answered. And after her prayer was answered and I was saved, uh, I prayed that God would uh, figure out some way to use me uh, in a way other than the practice of law. And so uh, we see that, that God answers prayer, right? And, and God can do exceedingly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And, and God answered both of our prayers, Molly and mine, in ways that we could never have thought uh, ourselves. And, and that's the reason why I'm standing in front of you today, uh, because our God is a God of incredible uh, miracles and grace. And so that's why uh, Ephesians 3.20 says uh, that, that uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine, uh, to him uh, be the glory. And so uh, what we're going to see today is God doing something more than anyone could ever ask or imagine as we come to this section of, of Acts chapter 3, where we're going to see God perform uh, an incredible miracle uh, and he's going to do it by performing a healing of a lame man who will be able to jump up and walk for the first time of his life. We'll see that this act was performed uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in the name of Jesus and through the hands of prayerful men. So we'll, let, we'll look at this passage. I'll read it in full and then we'll discuss it. So uh, Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate uh, of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
Well, we see here in the beginning that God orchestrates ministry opportunities in verses 1 through 4. Uh, God put this whole thing together. Uh, but let's talk about the setting uh, of this miracle first. We have no indication how long after Pentecost this thing happened. It could have been a week, it could have been a month or several months. Uh, but Peter and John were continuing to live as observant Jews. They were going up to the temple to pray. Here we're told that they went at the ninth hour. Uh, Jews began counting time at 6 a.m., so 3 p.m. is the ninth hour. They typically went up three times a day at the third hour, which would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour, which is noon, and then at the ninth hour, which it is now, 3 p.m. Uh, and so they're still following these Jewish rituals, uh, even though uh, they are Christians, because they are prayerful men, and they're, and they're pious men, and, and uh, they want to do what they think is pleasing to the Lord. And, and I just think it's really neat that, that God uses prayerful people to do his work, and, and God is looking for people of prayer, and I want us to be a people of prayer, because God is looking for people of prayer whom he can use to accomplish what he wants to do on earth. So they're on their way up to the temple, and they're about to meet this man uh, who is going to be a crippled man laying by the side of the road. Uh, but before he gets there, he has to be carried there. Uh, this man has no strength in his feet, no strength in his ankles, and so uh, the text tells us that every day he has to be carried uh, to the place that he is going to beg alms uh, from. And he's carried along by friends, and they're going to put him in a strategic place. You wanna, if you're going to beg alms, you want to be in a heavily trafficked area, and so that's where they, they put him. They put him near this gate that is called the Beautiful Gate. Now, there is no record of a gate called the Beautiful Gate anywhere else in the Bible or outside the Bible, so we don't really know what the Beautiful Gate is, uh, but most scholars think it was a gate that was called the Nicanor Gate, uh, which was indeed beautiful because it was made of Corinthian brass, and the, the uh, Jewish historian Josephus tells us that this uh, gate was 75 feet high, so it would be rather impressive. Uh, the gate doesn't stand anymore, but this is an artist's rendering of what it would have looked like. And, and that's indeed a very impressive gate. Uh, and so, of course, the, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by walls, and there are several gates to enter into the city from, and this was just one of those gates, and that's where they think that this uh, event happened. And, this is a strategic place because uh, just beyond that gate would be uh, the court of Gentiles and then the court of women and then the temple itself. So it would be a very strategic place as these uh, throngs of Jews are going up to the temple to pray. There would be a lot of foot traffic. Uh, and since he's there, they took him there, his, uh, the text says, every day. And since Peter and John were going up to the temple every day to pray, probably three times a day, I don't think that this was their first encounter. I think that they had seen this crippled man many times along the way. Well, it's interesting to note that, that God is concerned for the poor, right? Uh, and almsgiving was something that was required and expected uh, of the Jews uh, for the people who were poor among them. Uh, almsgiving is simply uh, the giving of money uh, in excess of what your regular giving would be that you would give to the poor, to, to give to people in need. And so... Uh, let me show you a couple of examples of how God cares for the poor. Uh, Leviticus 19.9. Uh, now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. 
Uh, Exodus 23, 10 and 11, you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat. And then here's an interesting one from the book of Tobit, which is an intertestamental book. It was written after the end of the Old Testament and before the New Testament was written. Uh, and here is what it says. For almsgiving delivers from death and keeps you from going into the darkness. Indeed, almsgiving for all who practice it is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. And so you can see from, from this passage that uh, this reflects a Jewish belief that there was merit to be gained in giving alms. And so uh, you have uh, this idea of, of people uh, needing to give alms to gain merit and the, this idea of the, of the lame man who knows this. And so he's setting himself up in a strategic place uh, to receive and so that people could fulfill their duty uh, to give alms. Well, imagine this picture. He's sitting on the side of the road. Uh, there are throngs of people walking by him, hundreds, maybe thousands of people walking past him on the way to the temple uh, to do their worshiping. And uh, he's lame, of course, he can't stand, so he's sitting on the side of the road, and his head is probably, you know, knee-high, thigh-high to these people as they are kicking up dust, uh, walking past him on the way uh, to the temple. And you can imagine him looking up at this throng of people and looking for a mark, right? Who is going to be the person who I'm going to make eye contact with, who's going to be the one uh, who's going to be my target? Uh, and... and this is an experienced beggar. He's been doing this his entire life. He knows an easy mark when he sees one, and so he's looking around trying to find who's going to be the guy uh, who's going to give me uh, what I need for today. And so you can imagine him looking up and trying to make eye contact with people, and, and yet while he's trying to make eye contact with people, he's looking beyond them to see who else he can make eye contact with and who else uh, might be uh, a potential target for him. Uh, it's like when you go to a party and you're talking to somebody and you can tell that they're kind of talking to you and looking at you, but they're, they're kind of looking through you and looking past you to see if there's anybody better that they might like to talk to. Uh, that happens at parties, right? You've had conversations like that. And, and so I kind of think that that's what this guy was doing. He was looking at Peter and John, but also looking past them, thinking, uh, all right, who else is here? Uh, also think that, that this is a there's going to be competition uh, for the alms on this road, right? He's not the only beggar who's going to be there. There's going to be lots of other people uh, who are begging alms as well in this very congested place. And so uh, he's got to find the people who are, are ready to give him uh, these alms. And so he's talking to Peter. He says, uh, you know, looks at Peter and says, you know, how about you? Uh, you have anything to give to the poor today? But may not have been expecting much of a result from that until, you know, big, burly, bearded Peter gets in his face and says, look at us. I mean, can you imagine that? That's, that's not what a beggar uh, typically expects to happen to him uh, during the course of, of his day. Uh, probably people just kind of tossed a couple of coins at him as they walked by, but probably uh, they weren't giving him a whole lot uh, of attention. And so the last thing the beggar expects to hear is, look at us. Uh, so I was thinking about like when you're, when you're driving down the road uh, and you come to a traffic light and you're, you're the last guy who didn't make the light 
And so you're there in the front of the line, and you look up, and there is a beggar standing at the corner, and he's, he's, he's begging alms from you, right? And, and so what, what do we typically do? Uh, do we roll down our window and chat him up and ask him how his day is going? Uh, no. We, we typically pretend that we don't see him, and then we start looking down, messing around with our phone or messing around with our, with our radio or something, and we're counting the seconds in our head until that light will turn green so we can peel out of there, right? That's, that's typically what we do. And so this man was probably shocked to see somebody get in his face and say, uh, look at us. Uh, certainly he would be expecting uh, to receive something from them, just like you would imagine a kid on Christmas morning expecting to receive uh, something from them. But God's behind this whole thing, right? God has orchestrated this amazing encounter. Uh, he put this man in Peter and John's path because he wanted to do something amazing for this man today, to show him mercy today. And all Peter and John had to do was simply to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, to find ministry opportunities. And they recognized ministry opportunities because they were men of prayer uh, attuned to the Holy Spirit, uh, having an ongoing dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, like I said, they probably had passed this, this man many times on the road. But today, the Holy Spirit said to them, you see that man on the side of the road there? I want you to go talk to that man. I have something that I want to do for that man today, and I want to use you to do it. And so Peter and John obediently obey, and they go and they, they talk to this man. And, and God gives us ministry opportunities like that every day, too, if we will simply be attuned to his Holy Spirit, uh, if we will be people of prayer. We live in a, a fallen world full of desperate people who need physical, emotional, and spiritual help. We see those people in our paths every day. When you start talking to people uh, and when you start to earn their trust, you find out all kinds of things about people. They show you their hearts and they tell you of marital problems and wayward kids and uh, addiction to drugs or alcohol or porn, uh, health problems that they might be having, financial issues, um, all kinds of other things. And that's without even mentioning their desperate need for Jesus Christ. And if we are simply attuned to the Holy Spirit and looking for ministry opportunities, uh, we can have encounters like Peter and John did too. Uh, we should be honored uh, and humbled that God would choose to work his miracles through sinners like ourselves, right? We are his hands and feet, it's been said, and, and we're sinful people, and yet God chooses to use us to do his work. And so pray, uh, listen for the Spirit's leading. Look for ministry opportunities. That's what Peter and John did. And they had aroused this man's curiosity. Uh, and they had created expectation in, in this man. And, and what this man is about to find out is, is that God can exceed greatly our expectations. <clears throat> in verse 5, we, we start to read about the man's expectations. Uh, when you have a performance review at work... You may sit in front of your boss who has a sheet of paper maybe and there's a, uh, some boxes on that paper and, and uh, you, uh, in the boxes it might say something like uh, exceeds expectations or meets expectations or fails to meet expectations. And, and you always want your boss to check the exceeds expectations box, right? Because that's the one that gets you your raise, right? Uh, I think that this man uh, probably never had anybody exceed expectations in his entire life. Uh, his friends were going to the temple to pray, uh, but he wasn't going to the temple to pray. In fact, he was not allowed to go into the temple to pray because uh, the lame and the deformed were prohibited 
by the law from entering into the temple, according to Leviticus 21 and, and 2 Samuel 5. So this man had never walked. He had never got to enjoy community uh, with his own people. And he was an outsider among his own people. His own survival, in fact, uh, depended on, on just begging alms from people. It depended on, on people throwing him a few copper coins. And, and so he had long ago given up the possibility that God might cure him and he resorted to what he thought was the next best, best thing, which is simply to beg alms uh, from people. And I think that if he was giving God a performance review, he probably would have checked the box that says, does not meet expectations, right? Um, he'd given up uh, on expecting things from God, and he had learned to live by his own wits. And, and I think that, that sometimes we in the church can be guilty of this too. I think we don't ask God big enough. I think sometimes we doubt that he can do the truly big and the truly miraculous. Uh, you know, we may be living in physical or emotional pain for a long time and just think that this is how it is and, and that God can't or won't do anything about it. Uh, but this man had been living in this condition for 40 years. And this day, God decided to do something about it. So uh, we don't give up. Uh, we know that there is nothing too big for God because he is omnipotent. And there's nothing too small for God because he loves us like he does. And he can intervene in our lives and do anything that he wants to do at any time. And so we should ask God and we just leave the results to him. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Matthew 7, 7 to 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And Hebrews 4, 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the power that's available to us in prayer. If we don't grow weary, if we don't give up, what was missing from this lame man's life? It was the expectation that God would and could do the miraculous. It was prayer. But thankfully for him, uh, Peter and John made up what was lacking in this man's prayer life. So contrast this man with Peter and John. Acts 2.42 says, we read last week, that these people were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They were continually praying. And so prayer is the activity that unlocks the power of God. When we pray, God responds. And that's why I talked this week in that email about having a prayer gathering here on Thursday night so that uh, we can start really tapping in to God, uh, asking God in community what he would like us to do uh, with this church as a body, how we can go out and meet the needs of this community. I want to I pray those prayers uh, collectively because I think those prayers are, are more powerful when offered together. Well, Peter had this power of God because he was a man of prayer and he depended on God. The lame man did not have the power of, God's, uh, of God because he was not depending on God. He was depending on the world uh, to throw the, him a couple of coins uh, here and there. That's all this man was respecting, uh, expecting to receive was a couple of copper coins, but he was going to miss out on all the power of God because he was not praying for what he needed anymore. Uh, he would never experience God's power by, by the way he was living because he was just begging and not praying to God. Well, this power exists, and we need to know where does this power come from? It comes from the name of Jesus. 
you know, Peter initially disappointed this man, right? He says, uh, silver and gold I do not have to give. And you can imagine the man going, oh, okay, uh, you know, who else then, right? Uh, but he doesn't even have time, really, to, to look around before Peter says to him, but what I do have, uh, this I give to you. And what he has is the power of God uh, to give to him, the power of Jesus, the infinite resource that's available to us uh, when we call on the name of Jesus. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Romeo of Romeo and Juliet asked this very profound question, right? What's in a name? Romeo, of course, was of the family of the Montagues, and he was in love with Juliet of the family of the Capulets, but they had this bitter rivalry between these two families, and there was no way that Romeo and Juliet could ever be married. And when he found out that Juliet was a Capulet, and that he could never marry a Capulet, he asked this very profound question, what's in a name would not a rose by any other name still smell as sweet? Well, in our context, uh, what's in a name uh, is a very important question. And, and here's what one commentator by the name of Longenecker said about how to answer this question. I think this is profound. In Jewish thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person, it expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. Peter, therefore, does not just ask the risen Jesus to heal, but pronounces over the crippled beggar the name of Jesus, thereby releasing the power of Jesus. Do you see here that how there's power in the name? The very name of Jesus has power that can be released. And, and that's why prayerful people pray in the name of Jesus. We ask in his name because his name invokes his power. So what's in a name? Well, it depends on the name. Uh, in the name of Jesus, anything, and I mean anything, is possible. And we get, when we get to verse 16, we're going to see that it was the, the, the prayer of this man, his, his faith, uh, that was activating uh, the, the results. Uh, calling on the name, we'll see in verse 16, is the same thing as exercising faith in Jesus. So we call on his name means we have faith in Jesus to, to, and we believe that he can provide uh, the healing that we need. Here are some examples of the power available in Jesus' name, or in other words, the power available by faith. Look what his name does. His name gives life, John chapter 20. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. His name justifies us. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. His name washes away sin. Acts 22, 6. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. His name casts out demons. Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. His name heals us. Acts 3.16, we'll, we'll look at next time. And on the basis of faith, which is in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. His name protects us. Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous man runs into it and is safe. His name invokes his power. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
His name heals division, 1 Corinthians 1. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and judgment. And finally, his name causes every knee to bow at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow of those on heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Do you see the tremendous power that's in the name of Jesus? What we can accomplish when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we exercise faith in the Lord Jesus? We tap into this prayer. We tap into God uh, by prayer through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus uh, with faith in Jesus that he can do uh, what we ask him to do. Uh, James 5.16 says, Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Who is a righteous man? Well, a righteous man is a person who exercises faith. You can't be righteous without faith. And so the righteous man is the man of faith. When Peter woke up this day, he had no idea how God was going to use him. But his praying in chapter 2 led to the opportunity for this healing in chapter 3. He was abiding in Christ, and in Christ, as John chapter 15 tells us, uh, we can bear much fruit. And so Peter is doing that. He's, he's abiding in Christ and he's able to bear much fruit by the power of Jesus. Peter didn't have material goods to give, but what he had was so much better. He had the power of God to perform miracles. And so he grabs this man by the hand and he pulls him up to his feet and immediately his feet and his ankles are strengthened. Uh, and he, he jumps up, he walks, he leaps and he praises God. And by this miracle, the prophecy of Isaiah 35 is fulfilled that says, then the lame will leap like a deer. Peter learned the power that was available to him through prayer, attuned to the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ and calling on the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what it must feel like uh, to have this kind of power flow through you and, and grab this man by the hand and pull him to his feet and all of a sudden this man lame from birth can now walk, leap, jump, dance, and even enter into the temple. Peter was forever changed. Uh, he went about boldly proclaiming the gospel wherever he went. And we'll see in the next couple chapters that that means confronting Jews. And then not only that, but confronting the Jewish authorities, uh, which could get him killed, but he didn't care. He's boldly proclaiming the name because of the power available to him. What about the lame man? He's forever changed too, obviously physically, uh, he, his physical stature has completely changed. Now he can walk. The physical healing that he received was permanent. It wasn't temporary like the money that he was seeking. And now he could go to the temple for the first time in his life and he could enjoy community uh, with his people. But not only that, his physical healing led to his spiritual healing. Uh, we find in verse 16 that we'll get to next time that the faith which comes through Jesus has given this man perfect health. So you take an unbeliever, you heal him and you make a believer out of him. So he gets physical and spiritual healing. And he's leaping and he's jumping and he's praising God. And that's not going to be missed by all these witnesses, right? Verses 9 and 10 talk about the witnesses took note of him. Here's this guy. He's lame from birth. Now he's walking around. He's leaping. He's jumping. He's praising God. And he's going to go into the temple. Uh, these witnesses knew him. They had seen him. He had been there uh, for 40 years. And there was no denying that this miracle occurred. And so miracles are pretty convincing. And by the time Peter gets done explaining what happened here, 
we're going to see that the church grew from 3,120 people, which it was uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2, to now 5,000 people. Uh, Peter's going to explain that, and people are going to get on board, and they're going to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to study that next time, but for now, what do we see in this passage? What can we learn? There are times when we are feeling lame as well. So I say, uh, feeling lame? Call on his name. Uh, and I think that, that uh, you know, there may be lots of reasons why we feel lame. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's emotional. There are many times where we just don't have it, and we need a little boost from God to get through a day. And, and God's power is available to praying people who call on the name of Jesus uh, in faith. And so uh, the first thing that I want to say uh, about the things that we can learn is, is just what we just said a second ago, that physical uh, healing can lead to spiritual healing. And I think that's, that's uh, something that we need to be cognizant of. Uh, you may have heard the term of the social gospel. And the social gospel is uh, basically the duty of a Christian uh, to go about helping people with their physical, spiritual, emotional needs uh, that, that they need to get through a day. We have a duty to take care of other people. We saw that, that God uh, wants us to care for the poor and he wants us to care for the lame as well. Of course, the social gospel is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty that we deserve for our sins so that if we believe in him, and that he rose from the dead, so that if we believe in him, uh, we too can have life in his name. That's the gospel, and that's what we're trying to get to. But sometimes the social gospel is an avenue to get to the social gospel. And so when I talk about doing outreach to this community uh, for the sake of sharing the gospel, it's going to start with the social gospel more than likely, right? We have to go out there and we have to meet people's physical needs. Uh, there, are, there are kids in our neighborhood who uh, probably can barely read, and there are hungry people in our neighborhood, and there are people in crisis in our neighborhood. And, and so we pray that, that God would show these people to us so that we can help them with their physical and emotional needs. And, and we want to do that, but we want to also do that for the sake of, of the next step, which is to be able to share the gospel with them. We do this because hungry people, addicted people, spiritually lost people, people in pain, they have immediate needs that need to be satisfied before they're even able to hear the gospel. And so this lame man had a physical need met, and that led to the ability for him to have a spiritual need met, and he became a believer. So call on his name in prayer for our church and for us and for our community so we can help the hurting people around us uh, and reach them for Christ. Second, our God is a God of second chances. For more than 40 years, this man had no ability to walk. He had no hope other than that his daily needs would be met. But God, right? But God. God can change anything and everything in a heartbeat uh, if it is his desire to do so. And he gives this man a new lease on life. And he can do the same thing for us too. Ask big our God is a big, big God, and he can answer big, and he will answer big prayers. He can give us more than we ask or imagine. Uh, this lame man uh, asked for coins from men, but never asked for a cure from God. He asked for money from men, but he never asked for a miracle from God. And God is able to do this. Uh, so ask. Ask for things that will glorify him. Tell God why the thing that you are asking for glorifies him. Repeat God's promises in his Bible back to him and tell him, God, these are your promises. I'm asking you to fulfill these promises. This man, this lame man, is proof 
though, that God is not bound by a faith before miracles formula. This man didn't have faith, but he had other people praying. And intercessory prayer is a way that God works. He works through the prayers of us to help heal others as well. He didn't have faith, but Peter and John did. So ask, nothing is impossible for God. Do you need a second chance today? Call on God. Does anybody you know need a second chance today? Call on God, ask God, trust God uh, to do what is impossible in our eyes, but for God, nothing is impossible. And finally, you can be used mightily of God. Peter and the other apostles became men of prayer. If you look for human need and then add some Christian compassion, uh, bathe the whole thing in prayer and tap into the power of God, well, that's the formula that God uses for physical and spiritual healing. So I ask you, how's your prayer life? Are you asking big? Are you asking things like this from God? Uh, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We all believe that he is. I wonder how well we do sometimes with believing that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. We have to keep asking, and he will reward our faith. If you believe that, God's got great works in store for you. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. That's a staggering statement, isn't it? Greater works than these, than what Jesus did? I think Jesus was talking about the quantity of works, not the quality of works. Jesus had a three-year ministry. Uh, our ministries will last a whole lot longer than that. And there's a lot that we can do in our lifetime, and we can leave a legacy uh, if we are people of prayer, seeking God's will, attuned to the Holy Spirit. So uh, be prayerful, abide in Jesus, call on his name, and be used mightily by him. How was this miracle done? It was done in the name of Jesus Christ. What's in a name? Everything, if the name is the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we have and everything we hope for is in him. Be prayerful. Be attuned to the power of the Holy Spirit. Put your hope in him. Keep your hope in him. All things are possible through him. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to become people of prayer, people who come to you humbly, Lord, yet desperately and fervently, truly believing, Lord, that anything is possible for you, that you can fix one individual's infirmity like we see in this chapter, and that you can take a church of 120 people and in five minutes make it a, a church of 3,120 people, Lord. You can minister to the, to the least of us, and to the most of us, all at the same time or one at a time, Lord. You can do it however you choose to do it. Lord, help us to know this power. Help us to tap into this power. Help us to be attuned to the Holy Spirit. Help us to trust you with the outcome, Lord. And, and Lord, as we think about how we're going to minister to this community, I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would lead us. And I pray that we would hear you as you lead us, Lord, to this world around us that is hurting, uh, that needs you so desperately, Lord. Uh, give us opportunity. Don't let us miss the opportunities that you put in front of us, Lord, and help us to actively seek uh, as we look to further your kingdom, Lord. We want the name of Jesus to be proclaimed to our neighbors and to the whole world, and we ask you 
because we're asking big, Lord. We ask in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen.